the sermon title today is Rescued by a United Few. Rescued by a United Few. So, you know, just again addressing current situations, current environments, current uh, uh, everything we're dealing with, everything we've seen, everything we've been going through. Uh, what I hear and what I see. So as I look on social media and as I get all my little emails that come to my email box and as I talk to all of you humans out there, uh, what I'm hearing a lot is hopelessness. I'm hearing a lot of hopelessness. And I'm hearing that reoccurring theme that these are signs of the times. Uh, this, is, uh, this is more of the unfolding of the end of the time, the end of period, the signs of the times. Um, um, so, you know, it, 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 it bothers me a little bit. And so then I'm wondering, well, who is for us? Hello, somebody. Who is for victory? Is there anybody for victory? Because see, there's, something, there's something very devolvingly powerful about hopelessness. Hopelessness actually makes your prayers worthless. I don't even know why half of America is even praying. Uh, because when you're praying with hopelessness, you don't believe a thing's going to happen anyway. All you're doing is medicating your depression. That's all you're doing. Hello? All three of you heard that. All of your, all you're doing is medicating your depression. You're, you, you're, you're, you're soothing your your soul with a false. It's a, it's a placebo. It's not going to work. Tomorrow you're going to be just as miserable as you were today because your prayers were mixed with hopelessness instead of mixed with faith. Certainly Satan has hit us hard with fear and sickness and dread and isolation and panic and economic loss, murder and fighting and animosity and division. Certainly we've been hit. Certainly that's going on. But I, I, still, stand, I still stand to say that it's because he knows better than most of the church that revival is here. He knows better than most of the church that awakening is here. He knows better than the church that the most strategic time that we've seen since the day of Pentecost is upon us. Where nations, where whole nations are going to come and walk in the light of the Lord. He knows that. He knows that's what's about to unfold. And so he is moving with great wrath and great fury to isolate, to separate, to harm, to divide, to collapse, to bring down everything good. And in the process, he has set the church up for about the last, since 1948, he's set the church up with a devolving future theology and scenario. We're not going to go there today. You want me to. You would love me to. You would like me to. You like it when I do. Because it creates all this controversy, right? But we won't go there today uh, in the depths of eschatology. I think uh, more so what I was thinking of was uh, the passage in Luke 15 where Jesus says the master goes on a 
journey, but he entrusts his servants. And then he says, occupy until I come. Conduct business. Be busy. Invest with what I've given you. Act like you need to do something with what I gave you to build what it is that I entrusted you with until I show up. And no matter what your theological eschatology is, you don't have permission to walk in despair, defeat, hopelessness, or fear. You don't have permission. You don't have permission. You don't have permission. You've been given talents for your generation. You've been given the word. You've been given a spirit of faith for your generation. If you don't steward it well, you're going to answer to God. That's it. And if you don't steward it well, all you're going to do is medicate your depression with false prayers, with absolute worthless prayers that do nothing, that do not push the kingdom of darkness off of the planet. And God has called us to push the kingdom of darkness off of the planet. Of the increase of his government of peace, there shall be no end. We are not called to be given to flight, church. Uh, when markets shake, pandemic hits, markets shake, all the markets shook across the world, equity markets. People sold all their stocks, bailed out of the stock market. The market drops in half. What's happening in an environment like that is that we're all given by nature in the face of bad news to flight. So aren't we glad that New Horizonites aren't called to walk by their nature? You have been recreated in Christ Jesus to be a people of fight, not a people of flight. And I was thinking this morning, how long can you fight? Will you be weary in well-doing? How long can you flight? What if we have a decade ahead of us to literally push the enemy off of this planet? To literally subdue darkness, to see them locked in chains until the day of judgment, those who oppose our Christ. I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about demon spirits, of whom Jude describes will be locked in chains until the day of judgment. What if we have that power, that privilege, that calling? We're a people that are called to fight. But sometimes we don't, you know, we, sometimes we can't uh, fight for a week. Uh, when we don't see things turn around, uh, then we yield to despair. There's always something dangerous about looking at circumstances instead of keeping your eyes on Jesus, keeping your eyes on the Word, keeping your eyes on the Spirit. There's always something dangerous. Remember Peter went down in the water? Remember David was judged because he numbered the people? Why was he judged because he numbered the people? Because numbering the people, he was actually evaluating, can we win this battle? And if you have gotten caught in that, and we all, we all can get seduced and drawn in 
by that thinking. Well, there's not a lot, boy, I don't know, I don't think there's enough Christians in America to get us out of this one. There's not enough people praying right now. I don't know, I've been looking, I've been, I've been seeing the numbers. The Word gives us illustration after illustration after illustration that God can win by many and God can win by few. He actually has a preference. You know what his preference is? To win by few. He really just needs a united few. Will you be a part in this generation, in this season, and in this decade? Will you be, will you share a victorious outlook? Will you share a fighting spirit with a united few? And can you do that longer than a week? Can you do it longer than a week? Because when hardship lingers, then the enemy starts ministering to our souls with despair. These are not days to give up. These are not days to run to the hills. These are not days to wake up and say, oh, another day. Oh, my word, I had to wake up. God help us. Quick check Facebook. Did anything change? No. Oh, my word, it got worse in the night. Oh, Lord Jesus. Rapture, quick, rapture. Rapture before the rupture. No, these are days that you literally, when you wake up, you, you, you have to be in a bad mood. You need to be in a bad mood. When you wake up, you need to wake up in a bad mood. When you wake up and you set up, it should be really, 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 really bad news for everything evil, demonic, unclean, impure. Every bad news element in culture, society, Family, household, lifestyle, every bad news element should be very, very, very sad that you got up. Make him or her sleep in as long as possible because the moment they get up, we know we're in trouble. We know they'll shift the atmosphere. We know that they're going to rebuke some stuff. They're going to confront some stuff. They're going to shift some stuff. It's going to be different. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Hello, somebody. This is what God needs right now. God needs an, uh, uh, you know, anger is actually a good emotion. Hello. Now, anger can be attached to a spirit, and anger can be attached to bitterness and wrong spirits, violence. And, but God is angry every day. You ever thought about that? And the word says, be angry and sin not. Maybe we're so boneless. You ever seen the boneless chicken farm? They're so apathetic they can't even move. It could be that we're that we're missing something that 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 God is actually arousing us. God's trying to stir us. God's trying to awaken us. And instead of resigning to every single nasty thing we see, and instead of strategizing with the prognosticators of every 
strange theory that's going on out there. We need to be so engaged in the war that we are making the difference, that we're shifting things, that we're confrontational, that we're stirred up. Godly anger is a righteous expression over things unrighteous that are being manifested. Don't live angry, please don't. Kiss your wife once in a while. All three of you finally got that. That was good. God needs a unified few. 1 Samuel 14, 6, Jonathan and his armor bearer. I I just love this. Jonathan and his armor bearer. Come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will, will work for us. And they knew something about God. Jonathan knew something about God. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Do you, do you believe that? Are you believing that? Are you, are you, are you looking at, oh, oh my goodness, I, you know, I've been looking at those Gallup polls and I've been looking at the Barna Research Group and, you know, it's like Christianity is like down to 45% of America. I, it's all going to hell. I, I knew it. The Antichrist is taking over. They're going to start the mark of the beast any moment. Did you hear they have that implant for your hand now? They put that implant in. They're even going to a cashless society. Oh, my goodness. Would you get off of all that stupid stuff, please? Could you be full of faith? Could you read the word? Could you be on the victory side? Could you confront some devils? Could you rise up with some uh, a little bit of backbone and spine? Could you get out of that boneless chicken yard and do something for Jesus? The last we read, I've given you power over serpents, scorpions, and all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm you. God is raising up this Gideon company, this Gideon army, And he's going to save the nation. He's going to save the nations. And it's not going to be because we have more. It's because we have a united few. And that united few has drawn in a company of more. Because according to Daniel 10, 12, we've come because of your words. We've come because of your words. We've come because of your words. A united few will call in a great host, and we'll have that Elisha revelation where the servant was overwhelmed by the size of the army. But then Elisha said, open his eyes, Lord. See, we have to remember this is not a flesh and blood battle. Even what's happening in our nation is not a flesh and blood battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Tell yourself that just for a moment. It's a spiritual battle. Judges chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the sight or the eyes of the Lord. Judges chapter 6. We'll go there on the screens as well. If you're at home or in your car, you can follow along. 
And for seven years he gave them in the hand, into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents, set up independent, chop-like, chaz-like nations. I saw a little humor in there. Like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. I want to ask you a question. How bad's it got to get before you shut off the TV, shut off your entertainment, shut off your appetite, shut off your foolishness, and spend an hour in prayer? It could be the Lord just needs an hour a day. Could you not tarry an hour with me? You don't need to respond. I'm talking to those watching online. The three of you here don't need to say a word. Not even, I'm not even talking to you. I know you've all been praying your whole lives nonstop. Golly whiz. See, I, I read that and I wondered why in the world did they wait seven years? Goodness gracious. You know, year one was bad and so, you know, they kind of thought about how bad could this get? But they continued to worship at Baal and their Asherah poles. They continued to sacrifice their children to Molech. They continued to follow after the practices of the Amorites of whom God hated and they were called to destroy as it pertained to Canaan. The Amorites were, were Canaanites. They were of the Canaanites. And, and they were of the people that way back when, when God promised the promised land to Abram, that he commented that the, Amor the sin of the Amorites is not full yet. And so judgment can't come. But when their sin becomes full, then judgment will come. They, were, they, were, they taught the Israelites witchcraft. They taught them sorcery. They taught them witchcraft. Their god, Moloch, demanded children. But things got worse. I'm, I'm suspecting the first year, uh, you know, things were bad. It's probably lines at the grocery stores. Probably you couldn't get too close to one another. Uh, potentially, uh, there was oil embargoes for the camelbacks. Uh, who knows what was going on? But the first year was, you know, it was, and so they kind of mused and wondered and talked amongst themselves. You know, maybe this isn't God. Maybe, maybe there's nothing going on here. It's not a big deal. But year two got a little worse. They had a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of problems in year two. Year three, year three, they started thinking about, could we get out of Dodge? I mean, we could still come back into town, you know, uh, to sacrifice our children, uh, uh, you know, once a year. But maybe we should, you know, find a place to live, like a container in Idaho. 
potentially. Uh, could we dig some, you know, holes in dirt somewhere, like up in the mountains, or open up a cave, or could we find some oak trees in Mamre that we could maybe, uh, you know, board together and get like a master lock so nobody can get in? Could we do something? This is year three. By year four, they've abandoned some of their villages. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse, but no cry out to God. Why did it take seven years of oppression for them to cry out to God? I'm suspecting God was waiting all along for a cry. I'm I'm suspecting God was waiting all along for a people to be grieved, for a people to cry out, for a people to be grieved with what was happening in their nation, in their land, around them, and with neighbors and friends and relatives. But they were busy. We don't have time for that. We've got half of our harvest to gather in. The other half has been taken. So finally, after seven years, after seven years, when the Israelites, verse 7, cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. And this is what the Lord The God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you out of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Verse 11, chapter 6. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I'm assuming that, that this is at the end of this seven-year period. I'm assuming that their cry out to God is, and we're not told this, but, but the fact that they're crying out to God now, like, ah! this is enough. Can you give us a word? You got anything to say to us? The prophet appears. So some level of repentance had come across the land. Some level of recognition that we're in deep doo-doo. We got problems here. We, we got difficulties here. We need intervention. We need correction. We need something. And so the prophet comes, and now the angel of the Lord comes, right, and finds Gideon. You know the story. How many of you know the story? Trying to bore you silly. The Lord is with you. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I'm I'm, I'm feeling like this is the Lord talking to the church today. The Lord is talking to the church today. The Lord is calling you a Gideon company. And the Lord is saying that he is with you. Now, you're about to say potentially what Gideon was about to say. (laughs) 
All right, I started crying before I read it. You're wondering what I'm crying about. But this is what Gideon replies. If the Lord is with us, why is my Facebook feed filled with all this bad stuff? Where are all his wonders? Where are, where's the revival? And, the, and where, where is, you know, all that good stuff that they told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us to all this bad news and all this crud. And the whole thing's falling apart. Even me, I can't even get all the TV channels I used to get. They're all filled with news. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. In other words, and he didn't include this first part, but I'm going to throw it in, the free Dwayne translation. Shut up. Aren't you concerned? Aren't you a little overtaken? Aren't you a little bugged? Aren't you hiding here in a wine press? Am I not an angel? Hello, I'm visiting you. Shut up and go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, this is the Lord talking to the modern church, but he doesn't need everybody. Quit looking at, oh, my word, I wonder if every church has got this. I wonder if the whole, I wonder if all of Christianity, you know, there's a lot of people that don't believe that we can be victorious. And so until they all believe we can be victorious, I don't think we can be victorious. Really? Can he not save by a few? Can't he do something miraculous with the united few? Isn't he the same God of Mary? How is it we preach about David and Goliath, walk out those doors and don't believe it one ounce, but instead believe all the poo that comes across our life by the circumstantial visitation of negative news? Are you not David? Do you not have the keys of David? Are you not called of him? Are you not victorious? Is the church, this is, this is written to the modern day church. Hear this. You are the Gideon company. I'm not supposed to preach long. I was only supposed to preach a couple minutes. So much for that. We need to close soon. Oh, but look what Gideon says. He says what the church says today. The church growth movement, the church evaluation movement, the church numerical movement, the church seeker sensitive movement, what other movement you want to come up with? He, he says this, pardon me, my Lord, uh, 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 but how, how, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, pardon, pardon, pardon me, Lord. We just, we just have a small little group here. We're just, we're, we're a part of a small little group uh, over here in a little place called Fifi or Fife or whatever it is. Uh, we're just small, small little group here. I don't think there's much we could do. You've got the wrong place. 
you know what God says? That's exactly why I came and found you, dummy head. Because you're not going to get any glory out of this, and you couldn't do it on your own anyway. I'm going to get all the glory, and I'll do it with a small, united band of those who will join with you. And you don't have to be strong. I'll make you strong, and I'll be strong through you. I actually found the weakest on purpose. So as you evaluate even this church, as you evaluate our church, as you evaluate those you're associated with, don't look at them in the mind of man. Don't look at them with carnal thinking. Don't look at them after the manner of who they were or who they appear to be. Look at them in the spirit. God is pulling together a mighty bunch of a Gideon company out of those who appear to be the weakest company on the planet. Amen. Don't shout me down, all three of you, just because I'm preaching good. And so you know, you know the story, how this goes with Gideon, and, and Gideon puts out a fleece, and God confirms the fleece, and then, uh, and then there's the shrinking down of the troops. And I want to go to the shrinking down of the troops in Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Gideon and all of his men, verse 1, camped at the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Oh, boy. See, he doesn't need those who don't believe anyway. Hopeless, despairing prayers are worthless anyway. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear. What have I been telling you? Anyone who's despairing, yet they attend church, yet they're believers, yet they have been forgiven of sins, yet they love the Lord. They don't need to be a part of this battle. We'll let them join in afterwards. Did you hear me? We'll share the spoils with them afterwards. When we have Midian on the run, we'll alert them, and they can join in and be a part of the running. And that's what happened, by the way. It was fun. You have too many men. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And so 22,000 men left well, 10,000 remain. But then the Lord said, there's still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go, he shall go. If this one shall not go, he shall not go. And so the Lord took them, so Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps with those who kneel down and stick their faces in the water like stupid people. Free Dwayne translation. Messed you up again. He was looking for those who would be alert. He was looking for those who would be aware. He was looking for those who would be on the earth. He was looking for a certain kind of person, and only 300 of those passed the test. And so then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hands. 
let all the others go home. And so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now God did an amazing thing through them. There was another sign. They heard uh, a dream down in the camp, and you remember that. And then they went forth. Uh, and verse 19, I want to go to verse 19. And Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they changed the guard. And they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord. A sword, a sword for the Lord. A sword. You know what the sword of the Spirit is? The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Amen? The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Symbolic of demonic power being shaken and run out of town. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. You that are here in the building, you that are watching by stream, we're going to have communion together, I believe. Church, we are called to be Gideon's army. If we let the narrative of the day harm our hearts, harm our faith, harm our courage, we will become despairing. We will become hopeless. If we allow hit after hit after hit, trouble after trouble after trouble, difficulty after difficulty, wear us down, wear us out, steal our victory, steal our courage, steal our faith, we will become like those whom God couldn't use. Doesn't mean we're not Christians, doesn't mean we're not believers, but God is looking right now for a united few. God is looking for a united few who will not let America go down, who will not let the nations of the earth go down, who will stand in victory, who will make demands in the spirit realm, who will even do deliverance over their own souls. When you get oppressed, do deliverance over your own soul. When you feel hopelessness coming in, push it out. When you feel discouragement, when you feel fear, when you feel... When you feel despairing, when you feel heaviness coming against you, do warfare over your own soul because God is using us who are wielding the sword of the Spirit and the torch, the lamp of the light of God to do battle and to push the Midianites out of the spirit realm, to clear the territory, to put on the run all of the enemies so that God can bring forth a mighty victory. Don't worry that there aren't 
vast crowds. We can rejoice in every person that's joining this company. We can rejoice in every person that's coming on board with prayer and with fight and with vigilance and with, with power. We can rejoice in that. But don't worry that there's not a vast group. Don't even worry. Don't count the number. Don't count the number. Just join in. Be a part. Be a part of a united few who have one voice, who have one shout. What does the army look like? One of the things I believe the army looks like is that we are giving time. And I know we gave time from Passover to Pentecost, but I think we need to be thinking about a decade. We're daily giving time for warfare. Carve out 30 minutes, carve out an hour. I know you've got a date with God every day, but included in your date with God, give time every day for warfare and to confront the enemy, to confront Molech, to confront Baal, to confront the Ashtaroth, to confront the demonic powers, to confront witchcraft, to confront everything that the enemy's been working and trying to bring about in our nation, division and hatred, injustice economic peril, sickness and disease, confronted. That's what it, it looks like, time given to use the sword of the Spirit. Intentional time where I pour the, pull the sword of the Spirit out and I wield the sword of the Spirit. Number two, coming together in prayer and doing that very thing together. Number three, fearless in the face of all bad news. Fearless. This is what it looks like. You're fearless in the face of all bad news. Number four, what it looks like. Total agreement with the advancement of the kingdom. You are not going to buy into a narrative that contradicts the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of the Lord filling the earth like the waters cover the sea. Number five, disengagement with the distractions of the unclean the impure, the immoral, and the foolish. That's what it looks like. I'm going to disengage. I'm going to disengage with the distractions that pull me away that relate to the unclean, the impure, the immoral, and the foolish. Come on, number six, aggressive confrontation of darkness. Number seven, specific declaration of the will of the Lord over every sphere of culture in specific ways. You know what I love about Mark 11, 22 through 24? What I love about Mark 11, 22, 24, Jesus curses a fig tree that's not bearing fruit. There's a lot of things in our culture that don't bear fruit. He curses it at the roots, but then he instructs them to move mountains with their words. And he instructs them to be powerfully specific with their words, that they will get whatever they say, that they will get whatever they say. So why don't we say what it is we want to get? Why don't we say what it is we want to get? Amen? So let's do this right now as we take communion. You got your bread and the cup. In communion, I want us to renounce despair. Just begin to do it right now. Father, you've made us one with you. 
you watching online, watching in your homes, watching the broadcast, we're just going to renounce right now. Renounce partnership with despair, partnership with hopelessness. Lord, I renounce devolving, degenerating, defeatist speech. I renounce it. I renounce it. I renounce it. I renounce giving place to defeat, listening to it, aligning my heart with a devolving future. I renounce also looking at how bad it is and allowing hopelessness to have place in my heart. I renounce looking at how many are with us in the natural and then wondering if we can win the victory. I renounce it. I renounce it. Father, I bring my whole being into alignment with you. This bread and this cup declares I'm one with you. I'm one with victory. I'm one with authority. I'm one with grace. I'm one with power. I'm one with love. You've brought me into the heavenly realms through the sacrifice of your son. And I believe it today in Jesus' name. Take the bread together. that have been watching online. God bless you. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope to see you again next week. And we encourage you, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Continue to grow in him. Continue to run after him. You are a part of Gideon's company. And the Lord will prevail. In this season and in this decade, we will see him move. We will see a mighty victory. God bless you. God bless you.